Well, good morning, good morning, Church at the Red Door. It is great to be here with you all. Let's, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this time, and we just thank you for just the privilege to be able to get together. Lord, I thank you for every single individual that's here, particularly these young guys up front. Just love these guys being here. I pray, Lord, that you would just open all of our hearts to hear what it is that you want us to hear. I'm praying, Lord, that you would uh, use me as your vessel to speak to uh, these individuals. Pray for every family that's represented here, Lord. I pray that you would um, guide them and protect them. Lord, we pray for your wisdom. As Randy prayed earlier, as, uh, as two or more are gathered in your name, you're in their presence. And Lord, I'm just asking that we would all just sense your presence here in a mighty and powerful way. So we just thank you for this time together, Lord. We just honor you. We acknowledge you. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that we are saved by, um, by grace through faith in you. And uh, we all fall short, Lord. We all, um, we all need you. And so we just thank you uh, for what you have done and what you're going to do here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, welcome. As you guys heard, Greg Solis, I'm uh, on the uh, Board of Trustees, and it truly is a privilege to serve the Church of the Red Door family. I just love it. Um, my family, so there's my gorgeous family, anchored by my lovely wife, Monica, of course, and uh, she, is, she has tolerated me now for 31 years, if you could believe that. That's a lot of years. Uh, we got married when we were 10. If you look at her, that's, 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 how, that's how we did it. So, no, uh, it's been a wonderful, a wonderful marriage, a wonderful journey, obviously ups and downs and challenges and raising these children, and we are now officially empty nesters. And I will tell you, for those of you that have been through that, that is a very challenging thing to go through, but we are a family that likes to have a lot of fun, that, that we are. This is us in Cabo this last summer, and... Um, and yeah, it truly is a privilege and a blessing. So Jack, my, my oldest, he's 24. He was doing the whole mini tour golf thing, trying to get on the PGA Tour. That's a challenging thing. Uh, but he's a great young man. He's out in Irvine. Nicole, my, my middle daughter, she's at University of Hawaii. She's a senior there, and she's going to school. But uh, I think she surfs more than she goes to school. But, <laughs> but she's, grades are fine. I say, as long as the grades are good, she loves Jesus, and that's all good. So she's wonderful. And then precious Emily, my baby. She went to TCU, and so right here in, on uh, this last August, on August 12th, Monica and I got on a plane at the same time that Nicole flew away to University of Hawaii, and Jack's driving off to Irvine, and we go to Texas, and we drop my daughter off at TCU, and uh, we said goodbye after we moved her in, and I will tell you, it was a very challenging goodbye. Cried my eyes out, to say the least, and, uh, but she's doing great. She's thriving. And it's, it, and it's funny because we came home and we, Monica and I sat there, we happened to be moving into a new house at the same time and literally within three days, all of our kids are gone and it was a surreal moment and we're going, my gosh, our life has just completely changed in three days. It's, it's just really strange, but a beautiful thing, lots of tears, but a lot of high fives too going, hey, this might be kind of fun. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an exciting time, but here's the funny thing and, and this is, you know, my daughter, Emily, she's very deep. Her and I would have a lot of deep conversations. And, and I, for all three of my children, what I did while they were growing up, I, and I got this idea when they were babies, is I would write them a letter, a letter from dad. It was a handwritten letter. And, and I did this for literally 18 years for all three of my kids. And when they went away to college, I gave them a binder that was letters from dad. And it had every single piece of wisdom, all the love I have for them, my love I had for Jesus, my what I wanted for them, everything was in that binder. So I knew that if I died, they could, I could speak to them from the grave. So I was always trying to give them information and wisdom and all this kind of stuff. And, but Emily calls me up. It was actually interesting. She sent me a text. She said, okay, Dad, 
She goes, I want you to tell me one sentence, one sentence, what's the most important thing in life to you? And I thought to myself, I just gave you 250 pages of what I think is the most important thing in life to you. You want to know it in one sentence? Dad doesn't usually work in one sentence, but I thought to myself, I go, what, is she, what, is she, what do I say here? And I had always taught them the so-called three M's, the three M's, master, mission, mate. Remember that. Who's your master? Everybody's going to serve somebody or something, and I would always hope and pray that they would all serve their God through their, our, his son, Jesus Christ. Who, you know, the, the next question is, what's your mission? What's your calling in life? Everybody was, is here for a purpose. Find your calling. Know your mission in life. And number three is marry somebody well. Your mate is very important. The three M's. And so I'm thinking, well, I can't say that in a sentence, so now what am I going to say? And so I said to her, I said, well, you know what? It's simple. It is simple. It's relationships. Relationship with God, relationship with others. You could pretty much put it down to that. That is the most important thing in life, relationships. You need the vertical relationship with our Heavenly Father. We need the horizontal relationship with others. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 22, uh, chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. And again, if you don't have your Bibles, no worries. We'll put it all up on the screen here. But it said on Matthew 22, 36, 40, this is, um, <clears throat> this is one of the disciples asked Jesus a question. He said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, you got to catch that. This is, this is big. I mean, think about this. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love others. That is a huge statement. There's over 600 laws in the Old Testament. And he's saying, and I, let me just put it real simple for you. Love God love others. And so what does this mean? It, what, it show, what it tells me and the thing that I think deeply on is that, is that we have to fall passionately in love with God through his son, Jesus. If we don't fall passionately in love with Jesus, it's going to be really hard to love others. Because I know, I will speak for myself, and trust me, everything I say here today, I'm talking to myself. Jeff says that frequently. I 100% agree. I, I know that when I'm not being led by the Holy Spirit, and I know without God in my life, it is very difficult to love some of these hard-to-love people. And, and it's important that we begin to understand what God wants us to do. And I've always said, uh, true greatness, true greatness is a passionate love for Jesus Christ that shows itself in an unquenchable love for others. Now catch that. A passionate love for Jesus Christ that begins to show itself in an unquenchable love for others. If we're not loving others, that's a problem. And, you know, and I think that we have to begin to understand that if we're going to love others, we have to fall passionately in love with Jesus. So for me, what I look at is say, well, how am I doing? Am I passionately in love with my God? Am I able to sit and really think deeply about what he did in sending his cross, sending his son to die on a cross? And do you ever sit, and, and, and I'll tell you, if you haven't done this, you need to. I remember I told CJ one time, I said, go watch the passion. Now, with the way you're thinking and believing, and now you understand what he did on the cross, go watch the passion of the Christ and see it as a love story. And when you see Jesus on that cross, beaten, scourged, thorns, naked, mocked, nailed, 
laughed at for us, for you, because he loved us so much. And you can really start to own that. And then you have an attitude of, well, what shall I do? What shall I do? It's not, religion is something we got to do. And I talk to a lot of people about the faith, and there's often, they're like, well, I don't want to be a Christian. I got all these rules and regulations and all these things I need to follow. It's like, no, 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 that's religion. And religion will, will drive a wedge between you and your, your father. Your father, when you understand how much he loves you and you fall passionately in love with him, all of a sudden there's a want to. It's not a I got to. It's a want to. And that's a defining moment in your life. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, well, how do I fall passionately in love with Jesus? How do I do that? Well, there's a few little things that I think we need to do. If you turn to Matthew 6, 33, uh, it says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So there's got to be a mindset that says, you know what, I, I, I need to put him first in my life. It's important that he becomes a priority. If he becomes a priority, then I, I will get to know him more. And as we get into his word, study his word, this right here, this thing, this is, a, this is an instruction book that will give you everything you need to know. There is more wisdom and guidance and direction. Everything is here, and it works. Take it from a business guy and a guy that's 55 years old that's made a lot of mistakes. When I don't do it this way, it doesn't work. When I do it this way, it works. In business, in relationships, in everything, this is the answer. So if we spend time in his word, we get to know who he is. We know his character. We understand the love he has for us. So we have to spend time in his word. It's absolutely important that we spend a lot of time with him. Praying. Spend some time in prayer. Once a year, I like to get away. I lock myself in a hotel room, and I just try to hear from him. Hear his voice. His, you know, his sheep will hear my, the sheep will hear his voice. And he's the good shepherd that wants to speak to us. So praying, serving. The more we know him, the more we fall in love with him. The more we fall in love with him, the more we want to serve him. It just, it's a natural byproduct, byproduct. And the more we want to love, we'll find ourselves wanting, we start to love what he loves. Well, what does he love? He loves you. Let me just be real clear. You need to hear this. If I was Paul, I would say this. What is it, Paul? It's like, don't miss this. Okay, don't miss this. He loves you. He loves people. This is the thing that he cares the most about is people. Both believers and non-believers. Both believers and non-believers. He loves them. He loves them all. And the more we fall in love with them, the better we want to steward our lives. We'll find ourselves wanting to be good stewards because that's part of the evangelism and discipleship, which we'll talk more about later. Okay, so let's talk about loving others through evangelism, okay? We have to ask ourselves, as believers, and I'm going to kind of go back. I'm going to talk to some non-believers, because some of you here may not be there where you have accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and that's okay. We're so happy you're here. We truly are. Please keep coming back. As a guy that's in the investment world, we do so much due diligence on investments. It's crazy. We, we will research and dig deep and do all this analysis and all this stuff, and it always blows my mind that we don't do our spiritual due diligence. As, as individuals, we, this is the most important decision you will ever make. Is Jesus who he said he is or not? Is the biggest decision you will make in this life. And so I always tell people, do your spiritual due diligence. So if you're here today and you're not a believer, 
Just know you're very welcome here. This is a safe place for you to come, continue to explore, seek truth. You seek truth, I promise you, you will find truth. Don't try to find what you want to hear. Find, seek truth, and you will find it. It's just amazing. But here's the point. For you believers that have made a decision to follow Jesus, here's the question I ask you. Do you mourn the lost? Do you mourn the lost? And Jeff alluded to it on the, on the tape here. If you look at Luke 15, verse 3 through 7, it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. He says, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not, who, who do not need to repent. Did you catch that? He cares about that lost sheep. He loves that lost sheep. It means the world to him. And this, these, this goes over and over in Scripture. You could talk about the prodigal son, the father, looking out the window day after day, waiting for his son to come back. And when he sees his son off at a distance, what does he do in the parable? Runs after him. The, the father goes running after his lost son that squandered all his inheritance away. He was a knucklehead, a complete knucklehead. He didn't care. He wanted that lost sheep. That's the way our Father thinks about people. And guess what? That's how we need to start thinking about people. He cares about the lost sheep. He is the good shepherd that loves his flock. It's very important. Matthew 28, 18. We all know this. If you don't, you need to know this. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is one of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples. Think about this. One of the last things he's saying, go out, share the good news, baptizing them, teach them, make disciples. This is his great commission to us as believers. We need to be thinking about this. And again, the more we fall in love with him, the more we know him, the more we want to do this. It's just part of the natural response to our love for him. We'll talk a little bit more about this, but we also have to think about, I think, when we talk about evangelism, to me, it really is, is how are we stewarding our lives? You know, as we fall more in love with Jesus, we, we begin to say, well, maybe I shouldn't do that. And believe me, I'm the, I'm, I kind of feel like Paul. I'm the worst of all sinners. So some of you, I have a lot of friends here, and I know there's people on live stream that are probably watching this that are my buddies that are like, Solus is giving the word? Because <laughs> I'm a sinner, okay? So let's just all be, let's all be clear there. But here's the point. I find myself frequently, you know, that's probably not the right thing to do. That's probably not the right way to treat that person. That's probably, and not because I can't do that, or God says I can't, it's because I want to do what's right that honors my heavenly Father. I want to do the right thing for the right reasons, no matter what the cost, no matter who's watching. I want to do the right thing. It's a stewardship. Why? Well, not only because I want to honor God and be pleasing to Him, but people are watching. People are watching, and I have to ask myself, do I smell like the authentic Jesus that people are 
drawn to or am I a knucklehead that nobody wants to be around? So how are, you have to ask ourselves, are we making it our life's mission to be kind and caring and compassionate? And I mean, this is important to, to want to be a shining light of his kingdom everywhere we go. Monica and I, we do a reasonably good job at this, that every time we go to dinner with somebody or having people over our home or anywhere we go, we just hold hands and say, Lord, let us be a shining light of your kingdom. Let people see the authentic Jesus in us. Not a phony, baloney, knucklehead, Bible-thumpy, religious guy that nobody wants to be around, but a loving, compassionate, caring man and woman of God that wants to be a blessing to you. Do we do that? Are we intentional with that? That's proper stewardship of our lives because that is evangelism because people are watching. And make no mistake about it, I saw a bumper sticker a long time ago. Jeff actually shared this with me many, many years ago, but it's like a bumper sticker that says, Jesus, save me from your followers. You know, and, and there's a lot of truth to that sometimes. Sometimes we really become a stumbling block, and so we have to be careful with that. So I think being kind and caring and compassionate and considering others as important as ourselves as it says in Matthew 7, 12, we really want to have a servant's heart. We want to serve others. Uh, and, and so in Matthew 7, 12, it says, In everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. For this sums up the law. Here he goes again. This sums up the law. Love others. Consider them as important as yourself. If we could truly love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we could love others, it sums it all up. You will want to do the right things, and it just is a natural flow. <clears throat> So I have to ask myself on a daily basis, you know, how am I doing with displaying the fruit of the Spirit? Okay, and if we look at Galatians 5, 23, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, again, there is no law. So if we're acting in this way and behaving to others in this way, there's no law. It's pretty amazing. So are we making, a life, making it a life journey to not be a stumbling block? I alluded to that earlier, and this is a big deal. Jeff talks a lot about this, and I just love this because it scares the daylights out of me as a person that has a heart for evangelism and seeing people come to Jesus. It, it, it scares the daylights out of me that I would be somebody that they look at that said, if that's what a Christian's like, I really don't want to be that. That would just break my heart, and I'm sure I've done it before. And sometimes I feel to you people that aren't followers of Jesus, sometimes I feel like I need to say sorry. Sometimes we do a poor job. Sometimes it's just purely out of excitement. Maybe we come to Christ early in our walk and we're really overzealous and a little excited and we start telling everybody and we make a big deal and we're pounding them over the head with the Bible and we're telling them what they shouldn't be doing and we become holier than thou or maybe a little righteous or a little judgmental. All those things. And that happens, and there's grace in that, and I understand we're not perfect, we'll mess up, but we should be intentional to not be that. We should be intentional to be loving, caring, compassionate, non-judgmental individuals, because we're all sinners. And so I think it's important that we make it a life journey to not only be a stumbling block, but now, wait a minute, how can we start removing some of those stones to help them find out who their Heavenly Father is that loves them so much, the Good Shepherd? that's calling them. He's the good shepherd that wants to use us as his vessel. Have you ever stopped and thought about this, that the people in your life, maybe God loved them so much that he put them in your life. 
Did you catch that? Maybe the people in your life, he loves so much that he put you in their life. We need to steward that well. Who's God put in your life? Who's around you? How are we stewarding those relationships? This is one of my favorite scriptures. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. As, an, as someone who has a passion for evangelism, this is Paul. He says, um, he says you know, though I am free and belong to no one, I, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. <clears throat> Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak to win the weak. I become all things, catch this, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share its blessings. That's so cool. What's Paul saying here? It's kind of complicated, but at the bottom, basically what he's saying is, I'm going to meet people where they are. I'm going to meet right where they are. I'm not, I don't care where this guy, and, and I think it calls us to kind of look at it this way. I didn't, this isn't something I've heard before, so if I'm theologically all messed up on this one, I, let's just scratch it. You guys could edit it later. But, but in my mind, this is the way I see it. I think we're called not to judge, but we're to use discernment. Now, where are people in this journey? When I meet a friend of mine, I look at them and say, okay, they're not, I, I don't, I, they have not professed to be a follower of Jesus, okay? So I put them over here on a scale from 1 to 10. 1 being they're atheists, don't even believe there's a God. Nine is, 10 is like, oh my gosh, they're right there. They're ready to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I can see it. They're right there. This is so exciting. And they're somewhere in between on that scale, 1 to 10. I think our job is to discern, where, where is this individual? I, he's at about a 4 i got to meet him at a four. This is what I think Paul's saying here. I'll meet him at that four. I'll be what I need to be with him. I'm not going to compromise my character and my integrity, but I'm going to meet him where he is. Jesus was out with the sinners. He was doing his thing. And I'm going to see if I could get him from a four to a five. Maybe we get him to a five. Maybe get him to a six. And that takes time, effort, energy. you got to listen. you got to be concerned about this individual. And then guess what? We get them all the way to a 10. If you have the privilege of seeing somebody go from a 10 over to a 1, guess what? Now you get to start the process all over in discipleship. And now, okay, this individual is a brand new believer. Okay, so you got the 1, brand new believer. You got a, I don't think anyone gets to a 10. But let's say you got a 9 over here, bond slave to Jesus Christ. They're all in. They are serving. They are living their life with meaningful purpose. They've crossed the Jordan, and they're having a tremendous impact in the kingdom. That's a 9. Okay, so we're all trying to work to get to that nine as believers. But if you're at a four or a five over here on the believer side, well, do you have that one? And are you helping to disciple them to get them to a two and a three? Bring them along with you. That's discipleship. That's what I believe Paul is saying here. And let's meet people where they are. We talk about, you know, right now on, th on Thursday mornings, we're... Um, uh, you know, we're in Second Timothy, and it's a men's Bible study, and just love it. But we got to love others, and this is the second point. So first point is we love others through evangelism. We need to find who needs Jesus in their life. And again, it's just out of pure love and compassion and care because Jesus loves them. And then once they accept Christ, now we got to love them through discipleship. This, this is what he's saying in the Great Commission. 
And so, uh, you know, I think evangelism to me is so important. People need to get rooted. I have seen this many a times, and I'm sure many of you have seen it. You think about it. I love Billy Graham. He's one of my heroes. And you, I used, you look at what he used to do with these massive, you know, outreaches, and hundreds, if not thousands, would walk down the aisle. And it's beautiful, and they accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. But guess what? Then they kind of go out of there, and they go back to their life, and there's no one there to disciple them. They're, you know, there's no, there's, no, there's no rooting taking place. So we, I believe, as a community of believers, have a responsibility to help these people along. I've had the privilege, CJ's sitting over here, and he's a good buddy of mine, and, and I had the privilege of, of really taking CJ through this journey, one of the many that came alongside it, to, to do it. And I saw CJ, I don't know, he was maybe, maybe at a two or a three, way over here, <laughs> a one, okay. But I, I had the privilege of watching him go to a two, and then a three, and then a four. And it took time. And then I saw him accept the Lord as his personal Lord and Savior, and I saw everything radically change in his life. I mean, it's bizarre. It's like watching, you know, an Eskimo <laughs> sell his fur or watching a deadhead <laughs> sell their van or whatever. I mean, it's unbelievable to see the change you watch and the transformation that took place, but it took time. But here's what I saw. And by the way, I was quoting the Newsboys in case those of you didn't catch that. That's a song. Anyways. All right. But here's the point is that with CJ, I saw that seed hit the soil and you want to see that seed hit good soil because trust me, it's easy for the bird to come and snatch it up as it talks about in the parable of Matthew. Or the weeds, the, you know, to come and grow again. The thorn. There's all these things that try to, to swipe the seed away. But when that seed finds good soil and it begins to grow deep, and you need to be there for them to watch that root grow. If God puts them in your life or puts them in, a li- in your life for a purpose, you need to be there for them in discipleship. Then here's what happens. That root goes so stinking deep. It's like there's nothing moving this guy anymore. He's unshakable. The, the, the circumstances of this life, the, the waves of the world, all the junk, oh, it'll come. Oh, that doesn't, it still comes. Circumstances still happen. But he will respond completely different. You will see him begin to act different. Again, not perfectly, still a sinner, still messed up, just like I am. But you see things change, and you see that root go deep. And then you could kind of say, now, now you go multiply. Now you go make disciples. Well, in CJ's case, it was a beautiful story because his world changed, and you could see it. It took a long time, but I, now he's, of course, working full-time with FCA. He left his job and working with FCA. His, I see his marriage flourishing. I see his family flourishing. Again, it, it's not perfect, but it's a beautiful journey. These kids here are probably here because CJ got them here. It's just beautiful to see. It's a wonderful, wonderful young man. Um, it's a beautiful thing to see. But CJ, it's been a privilege to be part of that journey. It really has. And I'm just so proud to be even a small part of that. And trust me, when we get to heaven someday, we're going to be able to give a lot of high fives about what he did through CJ's life. So it's important. And Jeff talks a lot about this, you know, and he talks about when you, you know, when you come out of slavery you cross the Red Sea, which is a form of baptism. You go out into the wilderness. You know, that's kind of the discipleship process. And then finally, you cross the Jordan. You take your promised land, and that's walking in your mission, your calling, one of the three M's that we talked about. 
And it's beautiful to see somebody go on that full journey. And you want to do that, to be part of that, to be part of someone's journey is a wonderful thing to do. So it's important to have people that you're mentoring in your life. And you have to ask yourself, you know, who's in your community that you're discipling and who, who, who are being discipled by you, who you are on mission with? I think it's important for you to ask those questions. Who does God put around me? And I like to see it this way. It's like there should be some that don't know Jesus. If you're only hanging around a bunch of Christians in your little Christian ghetto, I don't think that's what God calls us to do. I think you, you got to get out. Now, if you're out and it's only, all, only non-believers all the time, that might be a problem too. You got to go back into your community. You got to get around your people. You got to get fed. You need to be discipled. You need to be discipled. You, know, you, you kind of work in your community, but then you go out and you try to be a shining light of God's kingdom out there and win them over. And you have to sit back uh, and you have to begin to ask yourself, you know, what's my legacy going to be? One of the things I did uh, many years ago, almost 15 years now, um, I wrote my own eulogy. If you haven't done that, it's, it's a cool experience. I highly, highly recommend it. And I wrote the eulogy, and that was awesome, very powerful. I literally had it laminated. I put it in my shower wall. My, my wife hated it. <laughs> She's like, really? we got to look at your eulogy? Every day. Like, oh, yeah, all right. Not forever, but for right now, let's do this. Anyways, um, so the eulogy's there. And then I had another crazy idea, and Jeff and I talked about this. And I wrote, I was really moved by, if you, uh, you know, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, where Jesus, you know, told the story. He gave three to one, five to one, three to another, one to another. One, two of them went and doubled it. One went and buried it. And, and it, you know, he was, you know, job well done, good and faithful servant. Those that took the talents and doubled it, job well done. But the one that buried it, he said, you wicked servant. He, I mean, he really was harsh, really hard. And I thought deeply about that, and I began to live my life of saying, what would it look like? We know that we will stand before the Lord someday and give an account of our life, not for salvation, because remember, we are saved by grace through faith, period, the end. It's Jesus plus nothing. There's nothing you could do for your salvation other than truly believe and confess Jesus is my Lord and Savior. That's it. However, it is very clear that we will be accountable how we steward our life. And that should, as a believer, that should make you think, what, was, what is that day going to look like when you stand before the Lord and you give an account of your life? It'll all lay bare before him, everything. Now, we'll be covered in the blood, but it's still going to be a challenging day, potentially. Or it might be a beautiful day. Might he look at you and say, job well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you that marriage. I gave you those kids. I gave you that business. I gave you those relationships all around you. I gave you your, your fraternity brothers. I gave you that, those club members. I gave you all of those. Those are the people I put in your life. Those are things I gave you to steward. Job well done, good faithful servant. You've done well. I'm proud of you. And yes, you're one of my favorites. Come on. That's reason to live, right? This is what I love what Stephen Covey says, seven habits of highly effective people. He says, begin with the end in mind. Sold 25, 30 million books, whatever. It's a great book. He says, begin with the end in mind. Well, as believers, that should be what we should be beginning with. Beginning with, what's that day going to look like when I stand before the Lord? So I literally wrote a God eulogy. He says, dear Greg, this is God talking to me when I stand before him. Greg, I saw by faith what you did with Monica. I saw by faith what you did with those children. I saw by faith what you did with your business. I saw by faith what you did with those relationships in your office. And I saw by faith what you did for your clients. I saw by faith what you did with those guys at the club. 
By faith, by faith, Greg, I saw you do those things. I put that, I lamented that, put that on my shower wall too. It didn't go over real well, but, <laughs> but it was, it, I literally could not look at that thing and read it without getting choked up. And it just said, I want that. I want that. I want that. Well, what do I need to do today that'll get me one step closer to potentially achieving that? So if you haven't written a God eulogy, that's really weird, but it's really cool because it really helps me to get lined back up when I get way off base, which I do. It helps me to get back on track and say, okay, let's, let's get back to where we need to go here. So the God eulogy is a powerful thing. But here's this, as I kind of wrap up here. When we stand before him and we give an account of our life, it won't be for salvation as we discuss, because salvation is given us by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's in Ephesians 2.8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not, this is not from yourself. It is a, a, the gift of God, but we still want to hear, job well done, good and faithful servant, for how we steward our lives. When we walk through the gates of heaven, now this is kind of bringing it all together in my mind. This is a big deal for me. I, sometimes when I talk about this, I get real emotional. But when we walk through the gates of heaven, how many people are going to come running up to us and giving us a big hug, and giving us a high five, and saying, because of your obedience down there, that played a part in me being here. To me, that'll be an amazing day. And who knows? If we do it right, maybe we're going to spend a big part of eternity just giving high fives to those people that are going to be there. How many children might run up to you? I think about this deeply, folks. Mr. Solis, Mr. Solis, I'm walking through the heavenlies. He comes running up to me. You don't even know me. But you spent hours with my great, 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 great grandpa. And he came to know Jesus because of that time you spent. And that changed our whole downline. Everything changed. And I'm here in part because of that. I believe that. I believe that that's how it's going to roll. And to me, that's what gets me going. That's what gets me excited. Why am I so excited about evangelism? Why do I get excited about discipleship? Because I think that that could be an amazing thing. So, in closing, Emily, if you're watching this, it's all about relationships, right? Relationship with your Heavenly Father, that's the vertical. Relationship with others. It's simple, but it's complicated. There's a lot to it. So live a life with a genuine desire to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and mind, and then love others as yourself. To do that, I believe you have to have a humble heart. You have to have a deep sense of gratitude. I always used to tell my kids if I had a magic wand and I could give you one thing, a character trait, it'd be a deep sense of gratitude. Understanding that your father loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross. Let's start there. And that's pretty much everything, but you can look at, look at the beautiful family you have, look at the, the skill sets you have, you're healthy, you, look at your, you, you could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And when they got bad stinking thinking attitudes, I'd make them go into their room and write the 50 things they're grateful for because there was a lot of things to be grateful for. We need to have a humble heart. We need to have a grateful heart. We got to be generous, not just with our money, 
with our time, our energy, our resources. We have to have a heart of generosity. Generosity is very important. And we have to have a servant's heart. And remember that true greatness is a passionate love for Jesus that shows itself an unquenchable love for others. Thank you so much. Let me close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for this time together. Lord, I just ask that anything that I might have said that wasn't from you, that it just falls flat on the ground. But Lord, those things that might have come from you, I pray that it penetrates deep into their heart. I pray that people would leave here just a little bit different than they came in. Lord, would you give us a heart to fall passionately in love with you, to love what you love and, and love others. And Lord, we know how much you love the people that are all around us, both believers and non-believers. And Lord, I'm praying for those that don't know you, that you would use us to be a shining light of your kingdom and draw them into your fold. You are the good shepherd that's looking for that lost sheep. And Lord, would you use us to help you to bring them into the fold? And Lord, would you use us to be a blessing to others? Would you give us your wisdom, give us your guidance, your direction? We pray for providential relationships would come into our life and we would be able to make a tremendous difference. And when we walk up into those heavenly gates and you're able to look at us and say, job well done, good and faithful servant. Now go walk through the heavenlies and see those that you have impacted because of your obedience down there. Lord, would you help us live a life that thinks about that daily? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 